But I want to begin reading this morning in verse number 13. So we're going to tie in uh, two sections here now as we have been considering throughout this letter to the churches of Galatia the perversion of the gospel that was taking place there, but also considering it from the, uh, from the mindset of when the gospel is being perverted. And, of course, we live in that day as well. And so here at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, we have now turned towards, as Paul has warned them against the wrong use of the law, in the first four chapters, the wrong use of the, law, of the law being used for justification. He is now focusing upon the right use of the law for Christians. And so now we're going to look at uh, specifically what that right use is, beginning in verse number 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lust of, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the, law, or the, works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewd, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. For if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another." So we are now considering the right use of the law for Christians. And so we are so messed up today. We have been deceived by legalists and by libertarians to where we really do not have a proper view of the law and an understanding of the law and a proper understanding of the gospel and what Jesus Christ came to do. We think that Jesus Christ came to free us from the obligation when he did not. He came to free us from the curse of the law, which was the inability to fulfill it. See, sin is the transgression of the law. And so Jesus did not come to save us from obligation to righteousness, but to save us from unrighteousness. And so we are so messed up today. We've been deceived by legalists, and we've been deceived by libertarians, and, 
you know, as we've said before, we just kind of fluctuate back from one thing to the other, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, never really have any understanding, any grounding, any foundation under our feet. And so ultimately, where it leaves us is this. We view God's law as void. And I don't care if you're a legalist or a libertarian. Both sides make the law of God void. Now, they use different words to accomplish that fact. The legalists are always trying to make you think that they love the law when, in fact, they despise the law. The Pharisees did not love the law. They despised the law. They did not keep the law. They didn't even have the intention of keeping the law. They used it as a way to control other people as they distorted it for their own advantage. So it doesn't matter if you're a legalist or a libertarian today. The ultimate end of both views is to make the law of God void, to deny its validity. And, of course, legalists do this by not establishing the law, but establishing their own self-righteousness, establishing their own works. You see, it's their righteousness and their works that is the standard. And so they establish their own and deny true righteousness of God. And, of course, libertarians, that's easy to figure out because at least they're open about it. But we turn the grace of God into lasciviousness because both roads, believe it or not, legalists and libertarians both end up in the same place, and that is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness or licentiousness or sin, unrighteousness. And so we turn the grace of God into licentiousness through our own sinful works that we make the standard and by our disobedience to God's standard. And so Paul is warning them that, yeah, you know, the Judaizers might sound good, but they're leading you into disobedience. They're not leading you to obedience. They have a wrong use of the law because they are using distorting the law as a means to elevate themselves and their righteousness and their works as being satisfactory to God, making themselves a propitiation. And so Paul here is correcting that false view with the right view of God's law for the Christian because Christianity, the grace of God, is not opposed to the law. It fulfills the law. In Romans chapter 3, verse 31, Paul says, Does grace make void the law? God forbid. May it never be, he says, but rather... It establishes the law. Isn't that, well, we are going to find that here in our text this morning. 
So I want us to look at a couple things. And the first thing I want us to notice here is the motivation. Look in verse number 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. We have been given liberty in the spirit. We have not been given liberty to the flesh. The liberty that we have in Jesus Christ is not to work the works of the flesh, but it's to work the works of the Spirit. That's why we say that liberty is not the right to do what you want, but it is the ability to do what you ought. Notice the change in the phrase there. I said that liberty is not the right to do what you want. Liberty is the ability to do what you ought. When we come to understand the gospel and the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit in our lives as being that very thing, it will completely change our whole perspective. Jesus came to give us the ability to do what we ought. You see, we did not have the ability. We were unable to do righteousness. But Jesus Christ came to do what we couldn't do. And then to give us the ability... To walk in newness of life. So Paul says, brethren, you've not been called to liberty. You've been called unto liberty, but do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But notice how he says to counter that. Because, you know, liberty, there's always this desire in amongst uh, within man to distort it and to use it for his own desires and his own passion, his own pleasure. And so he says, don't use liberty as an opportunity for your flesh, but counter it this way, dear Christian. Counter it. Counter that temptation by serving one another through love. And then he says this in verse number 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Can anyone guess what that one word is? Because then he goes on to quote more than one word. Okay? It's an implied statement. Okay? It's not that Paul forgot that he said it can be uh, fulfilled in one word. No, he's making, he's implying something. It can be filled in one, with one word. What's that one word? I mean, you know, I know, I know it's 2022, and I know we are all um, influenced by, by the media culture of our day, but what is the context there? What is it? What's the one word? Love. That's the one word. The law can be filled, all of the law, every jot and every tittle, of the law can be fulfilled in one word, love. Isn't that what Jesus did to the law, by the way? When he he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, well, 
The first, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. You know, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he said, and the second is like it. The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor. Basically, it can be fulfilled in one word, love. Love God, love man. Love God, love man created in the image of God. Didn't say dolphins. Love God, love man. It didn't say some kind of little snail or some kind of uh, woodpecker that has a different color that no one's ever seen before. And it's like, oh, we can't log there because there's a blue one there and we've never saw a blue one before and we're afraid it'll go extinct. No, love God, love man. Love is the law being fulfilled. So the motivation, the right, the motivation for the right use of the law for Christians is love. That, by the way, is how you can distinguish between someone who is really interested in the fulfillment of the law and one who is a Pharisee. Love. That's what distinguishes it. Pharisees didn't have any love for the people. Right? They're like, why are you eating with those publicans and those sinners? Those ooey people. Oh, and those Samaritans. Those dogs. Why do you have anything to do with them? And why are all them harlots following you around anyway? It's disgusting. Pharisees had no desire for the law to be fulfilled. And you can identify them. No love. The law, or the law can be filled, fulfilled in one word, love. So Paul says, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And of course... People that don't have love, what are they going to always going to say? Well, who is my neighbor? Just like the Pharisees, right? Who is my neighbor? <laughs> and Jesus used the most despised race of their day and in their culture as fulfilling, loving his neighbor. And it was a Samaritan. Remember, the priest went by on one side and the scribe on the other side, this man that had been beaten and robbed and left for dead. And they walked by, don't see anything. Nope, nothing to see here. I can't see that there's a man that's been beaten and left for dead over there on the side of the road. Because they didn't have any love, but Jesus said, the Samaritan 
who didn't even live there, was just passing through, saw the man, rendered him aid. Not just, and didn't just render him aid, but took him to a place of safety and paid for everything necessary. And so Jesus describes this hated Samaritan, this dog as the Jews would have called him, which Jesus even referred to that, um, uh, even used that statement, right? That that ethnic, uh, that disparaging ethnic term, slang word of their day, when he was talking to that Samaritan woman, but the Jews would have despised these Samaritans, called them dogs. And Jesus uses that illustration as a demonstration of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, he was ethnically diverse. He was not part of that culture. He was not part of that area. But just because he was, he knew the need, he saw the need, and it was his fellow human being, he loved his neighbor. So all the law can be fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Notice that love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the motivator to keep the law. Love is what motivates fulfillment of the law. When you love God, you're not going to put anything else first. Right? If you love God, if love is the motivating factor that you love God, you are not going to profane his worship, his image, or his name. If you love God, you're going to give him his due. You're not going to be like, I only get six days and I have to give God one. I only get nine dollars and I have to give God one. If you love God... And love is the motivating factor. Then you want to fulfill the law. If you love man and love is the motivating factor, then you won't want to rebel against him. You won't want to treat him ill. You will not wish him uh, curses. No. Love fulfills the law. This is the reason why Paul says in, 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 chapter, in verse number 6 of our chapter here, he says in verse number 6 that, listen, you know, the, these false teachers, these false apostles had came to the churches there in Galatia and had convinced them that they needed to become Pharisees, that they needed to become Jews, that they needed to be circumcised, and they needed to find this cultural identity in order to be justified. 
But Paul says, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. It doesn't profit anything, right? But then notice what he says. But faith, working through love, that avails something. That profits something. This is repeated in verse or excuse me, this is repeated in Romans chapter 13, wherein Paul says, for who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then verse 10 of Romans 13, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. The law is fulfilled when there is true love. And isn't that what it says here in our text? The fruit of the Spirit. Think about what's being said here now. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Where the Spirit of God is, where the Spirit of God is at work, There is love which fulfills the law. It should be no wonder. Paul tells the Ephesians, walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. Did Jesus transgress the law or did he fulfill the law? In his love for us, did he fulfill it or transgress it? He fulfilled it because love is the fulfillment of the law. And so we are told to walk in love just like Christ loved us. Love is supposed to be this motivating factor for us as Christians. You know, for people of the, in the flesh and so forth, for Pharisees and for legalists, the keeping of the law is about love of self. What did Jesus say about the Pharisees? That they do all these works to be seen of men. It was a pride thing, right? It was a love of self. It wasn't true love. It was a love of self. It wasn't a love of God. It wasn't a love of man. Because if, if we have true love, we will fulfill the law, which means we will, be, we will do good to our fellow man. But when it's just all about our own pride and to be seen in a certain light and for people to think of us in a certain way and to project some kind of an image, which is why they were so concerned about the outside of the cup. When Jesus said on the inside they were full of dead men's bones. It's because it was all about being seen. All it was about it was about being seen. It wasn't like the Samaritan. He wasn't walking around in these long flowing robes and all these little trinkets and bells and all that stuff on him where he was incapable of performing any profitable task. 
for someone else. No, it was a Samaritan. He wasn't concerned all about the outside of the cup. He was willing to get his hands dirty. He was willing to roll up his sleeves. He was willing to get down into the muck and the mire and the mud of the ditch to render aid to his fellow man. He wasn't worried about how he was perceived and how he was seen. He just was fulfilling the law and loving his neighbor as himself. And you know, love is the motivating factor. And so the right use of the law for Christians is in love. That's the only profitable use of the law, by the way, is love. Because if there isn't love for God and there isn't love for man, then there isn't any fulfilling of the law. I don't care what kind of image is being projected. You can guarantee that no matter how fine it looks on the outside, if there is not love, there's only dead men's bones on the inside. And then secondly, and by the way, it is what Jesus told us, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. How about in 1 John chapter 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Secondly, let's notice the means in verse number 16, which is the Spirit of God. I say then, Paul says, after he gets done with the motivating factor, which is love, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Notice this is a command He's not saying, you know, it, it might be a good idea. You know, if you really want to. No, he gives an actual command. Walk in the Spirit. I say then, because love is the only right use of the law for Christians, in love for God and in love for man, I say then, because of that very fact, that only... Love fulfills the law. I say then, walk in the Spirit, because the means, the power, the source of that love is the Spirit. So he says, walk in the Spirit. And notice he just gives a, 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 an explicit command. And this is what he says. Now notice it in the full context here. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, so you don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh? Walk in the Spirit. That's about how sharp and abrasive and blunt the command is, right? Then walk in the Spirit. And should he say anything else? Because we profess ourselves to be Christians, we profess that the Spirit of God lives within us, right? 
And if we profess that the Spirit of God lives within us, then Paul is saying this, walk in that Spirit. If you're going to profess it, do it. So walk in the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit, here's how I know that you're walking in the Spirit because you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You'll fulfill the law in love. Walk in the Spirit. So the question is this, do you have the Spirit of God? We are told in 1 Peter chapter 4 that we live according to God in the Spirit. But then Jude talks about those who do not, who are sensual and don't have the Spirit And they are the ones who separate themselves, right? Like the Pharisees, they separate themselves. See, this whole conversation about the law and grace is really about this. Having the Spirit and not having the Spirit. It's about life or death, about being alive or being dead. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2 that we've looked at weeks ago, for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. So he's dead to the law, and he's talking specifically about the curses and guilt and the law of sin so that he might live unto God. He was dead in the law, Because he was a transgressor. But now, through the Spirit, he can live unto God in love and fulfill the law. He's been quickened now, made alive together with Christ because of God's mercy and because of his love wherewith he loved us. This is about life and death. Augustine said, or wrote, the law orders. The law orders. Do this, don't do this. The law orders, grace supplies the power of acting. Martin Luther wrote, how shall a work please God? If it proceeds from a reluctant and resisting heart, to fulfill the law, however, is to do its works with pleasure and love and to live a godly and good life of one's own accord without the compulsion of the law. This pleasure and love for the law is put into the heart by the Holy Ghost. That's why he says, walk in the Spirit. You see, we would rectify a whole lot of problems if we would just walk in the Spirit as we've been commanded. All these controversies go away. Because if we walked in the Spirit, if we were walking in the Spirit of God, would we not fulfill the law? If we were walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and the Spirit in us, and us in the Spirit, would we not love? 
Would we not love God? Would we not love our neighbor as ourselves? So if that is not the case, then are we walking in the Spirit? You see, the Spirit is the means of the law's fulfillment. But then notice, last, the manifestation, which is the fruit in verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these. So here's the manifestation or the fruit of the flesh. It's adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Everything like that. Everything associated with that. Everything that is contrary to God's law. Everything that is contrary to God's essence. See, that's the works of the flesh. Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? How is the Spirit manifested? It's manifested in not those other things. But it's manifested in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, it's about fruit and works, but these things are not the means, but the manifestation. And that's the problem. That's what Paul's trying to correct with the Galatians. This is, these things are the, the, the keeping of the law or the fulfillment of the law is really just the manifestation of whether or not you're walking in the flesh or in the spirit. Because in the flesh, there won't be any fulfillment of the law. It's all a facade. It's all about self-righteousness. It's all about pride. and It's all um, about um, seeking to exalt ourselves. But true, the true fulfillment of the law is a manifestation of the spirit in love. The flesh produces sin and death. The spirit produces obedience and life. This is why Paul writes to the Romans, there's now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And he goes on to say how that man could not perform the righteousness of God. And so God sent Jesus Christ. And this is what is specifically said in verse number four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Yes, judicially declared, but not just judicially declared, but also fulfilled in us through sanctification. When we walk, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Only in the spirit can the law be fulfilled. And so Paul says to the Galatians, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let's see some proof. Let's see some evidence. Let's see 
love being manifested from the spirit who lives within you in fulfilling the law. Matthew Henry said, when the law of God is written in our hearts, our duty will be our delight. How can we not delight in doing the will of the Spirit, if so be that we live in the Spirit? Father, as we come to your table here this morning, we pray that you would help us to not come with hardened hearts. May we not come seeking to hide our sins and our transgressions, but may we humbly come before you as we remember the death of your son who died to save us from our disobedience, to save us from our rebellion to save us from our hatred of all things that are holy and good, to save us from our transgressions, so that in Christ we might walk in newness of life. In Christ's name we pray, amen.